And I think there's there's probably a, a few levels of of acceptance. I mean, there's, there's acceptance of your diagnosis, which I, I've, I've fully accepted now. But there's also accepting the reality of what is going to happen. And I think that's the bit that I'm probably still struggling with a little bit because, you know, it, it's it's difficult to predict how things will change, when things will change, and how quickly they'll change. And I suppose that unknown is the bit that is hard to focus on. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, and do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everyone to another episode of Every L Podcast, which is just another way of saying every L is not a loss. Now, I had a certain conversation with a few people and they've kind of said that this podcast is sort of like, it's heavy. It's, it, you know, it's real stories by real people. And I like that. I like that because the people that come on here don't owe me anything. They don't need to come on here and tell their stories and divulge their personal affairs. But I'm so grateful and honoured that people want to come on this platform and want to tell their stories, whether it's something that helps them to feel better about themselves, to be able to better articulate and understand their own situations, or maybe with the hopes that someone else is going through what they went through in the past and can hopefully find strength, encouragement, a bit of motivation or just insight into what it looks like being on this side of the fence, if you want to call it that. But I do honestly appreciate every single person that takes time out to listen to these podcasts and please leave a review, follow, do whatever you got to do just so that other people can get more exposure on this. And that'd be fantastic. But I just want to say today, I am truly honored because I have a fantastic guy who I've had the pleasure of speaking to previously. And again, just before we jumped on, his name is Gareth. He is a very knowledgeable, very calming individual, and he's just got a lot to say. And the things he wants to talk about are really interesting. But before we go into it, let me just remind you, I don't really always know what I'm going to be talking to my people about, because ultimately they, they leave a message saying, this is what I'm going to talk about. All right, cool. And then we discuss it in the podcast episode. But I have spoken to him about this particular L initially. But what he might say this time around might be different to what I heard the first time around. And I'm excited to hear about it because it's something that a lot of us may not feel like will ever happen to us because we're naive like that. Now that I've kind of wet your appetite, I'm going to jump in and ask my wonderful guest, Gareth, to please introduce himself, divulge what he feels comfortable divulging in the matter of, you know, his marital status, his family setup, what he does, before we then go into the L's you'd like to discuss. So Gareth, hello. Hello, Matt. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Happy now that I have you on here. <laughs> you are very kind. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm Gareth. I'm married. Um, 
to somebody who is way too good for me and you know she won't thank me for saying that but she is Rachel's <laughs> Rachel's amazing and I've got three amazing kids one of which is due to turn 18 this year and that makes me feel older than the gray hairs on my head do you just started um, early yeah absolutely and youngest is 11 and I've got one in between at 14 and you know I'd do anything for them but I suppose the I suppose the most interesting part of my story is the fact that I'm legally blind and was diagnosed in in my mid to late 30s with no warning whatsoever. And yeah, that, that was a, a bit of a shock to, to say the least when, when I had a doctor with a really poor bedside manner literally say those words to me and with... <laughs> absolutely no pointing in the direction of support or anything like that. So, yeah, it's 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 been an interesting few years dealing with that and teenage kids and work-life balance and the rest of it that's going on. It sounds like it. So just for everyone to understand, so when Gareth first got in touch, he said the L he wanted to talk about is being diagnosed with a visual impairment. Now, as you heard, if you're discovering you are losing your vision, which I can only think about when I have hay fever and I can't see too well because everything's just really bad. I have hope that my eyesight's going to come back. But when someone just tells you flat out, you ain't having your eyesight back or you're legally blind, I'm only assuming that that's going to make you feel some sort of way. So what I'd love for you to do, if you don't mind, if you could just go to where you feel was a, the beginning of this situation, yeah. what led you to the go to the doctor to find out what's going on, just so we can have an understanding of the situation and sort of see how you navigated that situation because yeah. it sounds quite heavy. Yeah, and, and I guess it was it was really innocuous to start with. I mean, it, it started with a trip to the cinema in in its sort of earliest memory of, of noticing a change in my vision and my wife and I we'd gone to to see a film and the film had already started we got there late because that, that's me in a nutshell <laughs> and it was pitch black it was so dark that I couldn't see anything and I just thought it was because it was you know there was no lights on or anything like that and I was stopped dead in my tracks. I was like, I can't see anything. And Rachel thought I was winding her up and, you know, acting the fool. And it was only when she heard there was a genuine fear in my voice that she actually needed to help me see where I was going. And I just thought, well, oh, it must just be something or nothing. So went and booked myself into an opticians to get a just a general eye test and first thing you do is obviously read the reading chart and you read the letters on the lowest line that you can possibly do and that all was fine because i read the i think it was either the the bottom or the second from bottom line of letters yeah, all looks fine. And then they did the field vision test. I don't know if you've ever had one of those where they put your head inside this little dome and you have to 
click a button when you see the lights flash. So I was clicking the button thinking, oh, I've done really well here. I've seen all the, the lights flash. And it turns out I missed about 70% of them. Wow. <laughs> so the optician was like, look, there, there seems to be an issue with your peripheral vision. So we'll just have to refer you through to like a specialist eye clinic. And that, that was step one, I guess. But step one was probably step 1A and step 1B. So step 1A was the optician writing a referral letter that I had to give to my GP. Step 1B was me admitting that I needed to take this letter to my GP and do something about it. And that there was probably about a two-month gap in between those two things happening. Because, wow. yeah, it, you know, I just thought, oh, it's, it's something or nothing. It's, you know, just a, something that will be corrected with either glasses or eye drops or, or something. There, there'll be nothing wrong. Um, so before you continue, can I just clarify? So when you had that initial situation in the cinema, yeah. And your wife heard the panic in your voice. Mm -hmm. When you stepped out of the cinema, did your eyesight return then? So, yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll lead on to this when we talk about the diagnosis. But so, so the condition that I've got affects my peripheral vision and my night vision. Mm -hmm. So the darker it is, the more of my vision is restricted. Where if it's relatively light and clear, so natural daylight outside, that is when my vision is at its peak, for want of a better word. So, yeah, so as soon as I saw some lights, it all seemed normal and, you know, happy day. So I didn't think there was anything to worry about. And so looking back at that time, I think that the brain does fantastic things of, of making you feel like things are normal. Yeah. Because I didn't feel like I couldn't see anything. I didn't feel like I was missing any parts of my vision i was just i don't know just i guess just not realizing and and my brain was probably working overtime to try and plug those gaps where i wasn't potentially seeing things well that makes sense for why then you delayed going yeah. to the gp with it because if you come at the cinema and for the most part your eyesight's kind of come back mm -hmm. you're then gonna not necessarily be rushing to get it sorted out because as far as you're concerned, it was a blip. It's, yeah, yeah. It's nothing. Absolutely. So finally worked up the courage, and it, and it was. It was courage to get the referral dealt with. And nine months later, through various testing, various pro pokes and prods, x-rays, you name it, I've had it done and went to what I thought was just a, a routine testing as part of the sort of same things that had happened over the previous nine months, had an appointment at the, the eye clinic and got my diagnosis. Wasn't expecting to get my diagnosis because that wasn't even discussed at any of the previous appointments. And I was on my own. Wife was away with my daughter and... Yeah, it was a bit of a bombshell. And and the funny thing I remember, and it and it's funny but not in a in a kind of stand up comedy type of way, but 
I was told then that I, I would need to surrender my driving license. And my first reaction was, well, I've drove here. Like, what do I do now? And to go back to the lack of bedside manner, the consultant said to me, well, I'll just pretend you haven't told me that. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, hearing somebody give a person life-changing news in such a blasé kind of way probably meant that I didn't take it all that seriously either. Yeah. And I certainly didn't in the first few months. I laughed it off. Was probably in denial for a good few months before it cracked. And I'm not going to say I was forced into to having a breakdown, but but my, my wife was adamant that I needed to let it all out. And I did, and it, it took me a good few months to get to that point. And if it wasn't for her pushing in the way that she did, it, that, that denial of diagnosis probably would have lasted a lot longer. So when you say let it out, how, what did that look like? It wasn't pretty. It, it wasn't. It, it was a real... And it probably went on for a couple of days. It was a real tough conversation that we were having because I knew I was not being a nice person. I wasn't a nice person to be around, but I was completely oblivious as to how that was affecting people close to me. And not necessarily kind of siblings or parents or close friends because they only saw the the mask that I was putting on outside of it, you know, that good old British stiff upper lip and nothing's a problem, have a cup of tea and everything's fine. And that's what they were getting. But wife and kids weren't getting that. They were getting a completely different person and it had to stop. And there was only way it was going to stop was to make me talk about it. And it was tough. It was. It, it wasn't something I wasn't something I was ready to do, but I needed to do it. Otherwise, I was going to continue on this spiral, and it wasn't a good one either. And you know, at that point, I started to look for support, look for what the next steps are, and what organizations there are not just locally but nationally as well that can help someone like me who's going through that period of not knowing what to do and going back to the the initial diagnosis speaking to other people who've had their diagnosis given them given to them by a consultant they've been given signposting go and speak to this person. Here's an organization close to your area that will help you. 
here's the name of your local council's sensory team. But I didn't get any of that. I was, you know, dropped off in the middle of nowhere with no directions where to go next. And yeah, it was a it was a tough few months, but I finally got through to a, a local organization in Manchester that put me on the on the right path. And within a another few months after that breakthrough, I, I'd finally accepted my diagnosis and accepted the fact that I was going to be visually impaired. But it wasn't easy and and it still isn't you know it, it's not one of these things that i think i'll ever 100% accept there'll always be that defiant there'll always be that defiance in me to you know say that i'm not going blind but the reality is that i am would you say it's be- partly because you was born with vision and had it for so many years of your life opposed to if you was born without sight yeah it was a, it was like uh, possibly not missing anything never had it yeah quite possibly um and i think there's there's probably a, a few levels of of acceptance i mean there's, there's acceptance of your diagnosis which I, I've, I've fully accepted now but there's also accepting the reality of what is going to happen yeah I think that's the bit that I'm probably still struggling with a little bit because, you know, it, it's it's difficult to predict how things will change, when things will change, and how quickly they'll change. And I suppose that unknown is the bit that is hard to focus on. Yeah. You know, trying trying to plan for the future, but also live in the moment as well yeah so i don't believe you what is the actual diagnosis that you was given yeah so so the condition i've got is retinitis pigmentosa and it is it it's a in its simplest terms it's tunnel vision you know so for instance if you're looking at your your smartphone you're you're looking at a laptop screen you know you you're looking at anything with any kind of focus, you can see things outside of what it is you're looking at, where I, I can't. I can literally see what I'm looking at and and nothing else. And So you'd have to turn your head physically or? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So even, you know, you looking straight ahead in front of you, you can see 180 degrees either side and maybe a little bit more where I can't. I can probably see about, 20 degrees sounds weird and i'll have to do some research this but that very much sounds like the vision that an owl probably has because an owl doesn't actually have eyeballs no that's right so they have to turn their head mm-hmm. in order to see what's going around yeah so it's very much like that then yeah very much so and and i suppose the the big kicker about it is the fact that the vision that i do have remaining although it's you know it, it's diminished from a fully sighted person um, the vision that I do have is twenty twenty, so I don't wear eyeglasses for for corrective vision. I walk into an eye clinic with my white cane and with my wife supporting me more often than not. 
and get asked to read the reading chart as part of a standard eye test and read the bottom line still to this day. Wow. So with all of that, it it must be hard. Is it what are the things that you're unable to do now that you previously was able to do outside of driving? Um, but one of the funny things I tried to do was play football. So used to play five aside quite regularly as a as a kid. I played football at a, a pretty high level, sort of going late teens into my early twenties. I, I, I played for for Berry and played for Rochdale as a goalkeeper, and that's. So playing football, and only going back a couple of years ago, tried to play five-a-side football and ball got passed into my feet. I looked up to see where I was going to pass to, looked back down, couldn't see the ball. It took me about 10 seconds to find it because it, it wasn't where I thought it was and because I can only see that limited amount of vision. By the time I did see where it was, someone had took it off my toes and scored a goal, and I felt quite bad. But yeah, it's I suppose team sports is is a big thing. I, I used to be pretty active. Yeah, that, that, that's probably the everything else. I've I've got to a point where I can do things with certain adaptations. Yeah. You know, I, I, I suppose the, the one thing I've got to make sure I, I do is just make sure I'm safe doing it. Yeah. But yeah, driving and team sports are, are, the, are the two things that I miss the most. I can imagine because it, it just sounds brutal. And, you you know, you briefly touched it. And I do think that when someone does deliver something like that in your life, it does there's a grieving process that got, that you have to go through. And it's because the reality that you thought was being constructed for yourself based on, oh, I've got my three kids, you know, I've got my wife, we've got this going on. We, if we, you know, if we plan it well, we can then do this, this and this. And all of a sudden someone said to you, yeah, you see that, that you built now nah, you got to smash that down because you're not going that way no more. Yeah. And then you try and salvage some of the building blocks of the future that you had created for yourself. But unfortunately, things like sports are no longer available to you. So that's no longer going to work. Yeah. Oh, let driving. That's no longer a component that's going to work in your newfound future. And it can be very hard to accept that. It's, it's one of those things that I've had to accept in my life. And I never really identified it as grieving, but it pretty much is grieving because we you know what we thought we was going to have has now been robbed of us but it's not robbed of us because it was never as in, in the first place it was just an idea it was something that we might have taken for granted that a future that we wasn't living in yeah absolutely and 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 i suppose that's one of the things that i learned a couple of years in of, of having my condition was it, it is a loss of something and it is a grieving process. And you go through all of those stages of grief. You know, you go through denial, you go through anger. And I've been through them all, and I'll continue to go through them all because my outlook on it changes day to day, week to week, month to month. So I'll continue to flip between those stages of grief probably forever. Yeah. And... Well, I'll ask you then, 
if that feels like it was definitely an L, that was definitely a loss. And, you know, no pen, pun intended in terms of obviously loss of sight. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of that, if you were to say that wasn't a loss, what would you say that was? What have you gained from this? Um, I mean, well, I suppose going back to that initial diagnosis, you know, I, I, I thought everything I had was, was gone. I thought I was going to lose my job because I used to, to do a lot of driving for a living, going from place to place across the UK. And I was fortunate that I had a manager that was willing to put my mind at ease and say, look, well, okay, you can't do that job anymore. We'll just change your job so you're doing it very differently. Still doing the same job, but in a different way. And we'll put things in place that will allow you to still do that job to the best of your ability. And I suppose one of the outputs from that, and, and, and one of the, I suppose even to going back as recent as just under two and a half years ago, since my diagnosis, I've had four promotions. And I'll use that term loosely, but I mean, I've, I've moved, I've worked, since my diagnosis, I've worked for three different companies. Amazing. And each of my jobs has been, I would say, yeah, a promotion in some way. It, it's been a, a better job with more responsibility and everything that goes along alongside that. So I've actually started to realize my potential more in this last six years than I had in the six years prior to my diagnosis. I'd got to a point where I was quite, I guess, comfortable is probably the best way to describe it. I was happy just doing a job, getting paid at the end of every month and lacked any real ambition where that's completely changed now. I mean, I'm only, a, I'm, I'm, I'm 43 this month and I'm still ambitious. I still want to learn. I'm still looking to grow my knowledge to, to benefit my career. And I suppose that's probably the, the biggest change in me is the fact that I feel like I, I, I need to challenge myself. And part of that is, I'll be quite honest, part of that is just to prove that even as a, as a disabled person, I can still do it. Because unfortunately, there is still a lot of stigma about having disabled people in the workplace. And I want to, you know, be the person that kind of books that trend. But part of it is just because I guess I've realized what my worth is as well and realize that I don't have to be just comfortable in a job if that's not something that's going to make me happy. You know, and it's not just necessarily being taking job for an increasing salary. It's not been that. It's been, a, it, I've been 
again, fortunate that I've been able to handpick roles that I've wanted to go into that I feel like is either going to make a difference to me or make a difference to somebody else. Yeah. So that's, that's probably one of the, the key things that I've, I've got out of that diagnosis. It's actually pushed me to do things I probably wouldn't have done before because I was quite comfortable. And I think having something that is so far out of your comfort zone, everything else seems a little bit insignificant. So why not try and do something that you haven't done before? So when you was at your lowest point where I know you said your wife intervened and was like, you need to sort this out. Yeah. This is not you. This is not the version of you we deserve or words to that effect. Mm -hmm. Was it what she said at that point that was a turning point for you or was there something else that helped you to change trajectory in terms of how you was going to handle your situation? I think it was an element of that, but also an element of actually getting in touch with people who had gone through similar journeys that I was only just starting to go through and realizing that it's not the end of the world. You know, yeah, there's going to be difficult situations. Yes, you're going to have to do things a lot differently, but why should that stop you from leading a a life that you're going to be happy with? Because, I mean, at at diagnosis, I I wasn't married to Rachel then. We, we, We got married four and a half years ago and you know it, it's something that we've learned to live with together and I'm, I'm still learning about it but having those interactions relatively early on made me realize that I can still do the things that I want to do and still be the person I want to be just doing things in a very ever so slightly different way. And that's fair. And it's, it's, it's nice to hear that you're able to still do what you want to do and achieve what you want. And it sounds like you're having a better life now than you did the, you know, the time leading up to it, obviously not including you meeting your wife yeah, and yeah. You're having your children and whatnot. So if obviously you've gained that from it, which is fantastic. Yeah. Well, if you was to go back and talk to your younger self at a time when you was just really not feeling it, you was just not there. You was in denial. What would you have told yourself? to help encourage yourself to get in a better state of mind? I, I suppose it's, it's still relatively difficult to, to think of it in that way because I think it's just telling my younger self that it's all right to not be okay right now. And it's something that I'm still struggling with to this day is realizing that, yeah, it, it's going to be difficult, but it, it's all right to grieve. And I probably didn't give myself that chance to do that at the time. You know, like I said, there was there was a lot of putting on a brave face, using humor to get through those early days and pretending that there was nothing wrong. And I think if I could impart any kind of wisdom on the person that I was back then, it would just be to just let it out. Because it that, that that's the that's the thing that helped me take that next step, you know, believe that the people around you want to support you. And I probably didn't 
realize that quickly enough. And do you think you'd have been in a position to hear that information? Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's easy in hindsight to look back and say, yeah, we'll just, just do things ever so slightly different. Um, I'd like to think that, uh, I'd, I'd like to think that I would listen to myself, but I think, as I said before, I still struggle with admitting that it's all right to not be okay. And I still think I'm going through that, that part of the process where I don't have to be okay all the time. And, and I, I understand that a lot more than I did six years ago. And I think putting it in a way that, you know, lets my younger self realize that you'll have good days and bad days and that's all right. And that's normal. And, you know, just take each day as it comes because every day will be different and it still is. You know, I'd, I have a lot more positive days than I do not so positive days, but it's a lot easier to recognize some of the behaviors that I had back then and avoiding them now. And I'd like to think that if that was anything that I could learn from going through that process was that just to realize that it, it's... You know, it is going to be up and down and just do whatever you can, whatever coping mechanisms you've got to ride through it until you get to that level of acceptance that you're comfortable with. That's fair. I think that's, it is important that we are kind to ourselves and allow ourselves the space to feel what we need to feel. And if we're in a position where we have family members, loved ones around us that are willing to afford us that space to accept it and it's not a sign of weakness if we are just to sort of take a couple of hours out for ourselves, take a day, take a week, whatever we need to take that doesn't impact them too negatively or put them too out of place, do it because they're doing it because it's an investment of your time to make sure that you're in the right frame of mind, you're in the best position possible to help others. There is a phrase that says you can't pour from an empty cup. So if your cup's empty, because you just yeah. have you, you're dealing with stuff and you haven't replenished yourself by meditating, by reflecting, by accepting, by feeling whatever you're feeling. It's very hard for you to offer anything to anyone else because you haven't topped yourself back up again. Yeah, you haven't maybe realised you're empty or willing to acknowledge or do what you need to do to replenish that 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 within you that you need refilling again. So hearing that from you and obviously what you're going through is absolutely amazing and very nice to know that through you know the way i'm understanding is the fact that you lost your sight you know from a legal standpoint yeah but you've gained so much more in other aspects yes as a human we <laughs> at least in my mind i'm greedy i'm like i want it all i don't just want yeah. i don't just want to have these opportunities and gain life i want to still have my sight and everything else but yeah. i guess if we can't choose what life is going to give us, we, we we have an attitude of gratitude and appreciate what we do have versus what we don't have. And I think that's just a beautiful takeaway from it all. Yeah, uh, and, and I think one of the questions that, that I've been asked previously is, would I change things? Would I go back and not have that sight loss diagnosis? And... The, the more often I get asked, the easier it is to answer. And the answer is no. No, I wouldn't change it. You know, a, a lot of things have 
happened to me in my life in the last six and a half years that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for that diagnosis. And yeah, that there has been some losses, for want of a better word, but I've been able to do a lot more through education, through awareness, through building a network of people that want to do better. And I wouldn't have even started down that path if I hadn't have had that diagnosis. I'd still be, I'd, I'd still be ignorant. I'd still be ignorant of, of vision loss. I'd still be ignorant of disability in general because it didn't affect me. It, it wasn't relevant to me six and a half years ago, where now it is, and it's very relevant. And being able to pass some of my learnings on and you know, spread some awareness, spread some hints and tips or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it, it, it feels good that I'm able to do that. So what I'm going to do is go on to your next L because I can relate to this. And I think a lot of other people could relate to this, accepting that I'm suffering with poor mental health. So for me, that just sounds like, forgive me if I'm being ignorant in this, typical guy, I'm not 100, but I'm not going to go get myself checked out. I'm fine. If I keep going, I'll, I'll ride this out. Stiff up a lip, as you said previously. How was you aware that you was having poor mental health? So I've probably known for a while that I've not been all right. But admitting that was something that's probably only happened in the last few months. So it's, it's still relatively new. And it goes back to my most recent eye appointment, which was in February of this year. And my consultant who, and, and it's a, I'm at a different eye clinic than I was when I first got diagnosed, thankfully. And my consultant was really kind, really caring, really compassionate. And, you know, we, we asked a lot of questions about different tests we could have done just to see what level of vision I have compared to the last time I had testing done. And he was quite blunt in the nicest possible way by saying, well, why would you want to know the difference in vision? You know, Gareth, you know exactly how your vision has changed because you live with it every day. There's nothing that a machine or an x-ray or an eye test will be able to do that will give you a better indication of how your vision has changed than you'll be able to give yourself. And as I said, oh, so my vision is getting worse. He was like, well, yes, it is, but that's part of your condition. It's going to gradually decline. And I think it was at that point it sunk in that it, I wasn't just living with a visual impairment, I was going blind. And that was probably something that I've put off thinking about for a number of years. And a lot of feelings came to the surface at that point. Because one of the things that he did say 
is that, oh, you seem to be coping with it really well. And I thought I was until that conversation and went home and spent a few days really thinking about those types of feelings and again putting a mask on and pretending everything was all right but those closest to me knew it wasn't knew I wasn't okay and similar to what it was when I had my my breakthrough with accepting my diagnosis it took for a difficult conversation between me and Rachel to say you're not all right and we need to do something about it and it was at that point where I reached out to Rachel and said well yeah I'm I'm not I'm not all right and I don't know how to become all right and it, it kind of that that realization coincided with a family gathering we were having a couple of days later and my parents were there sister my brother sister-in-law nieces nephews kids all there and I said right I'm going to tell people I'm going to tell everyone that I'm not all right and I couldn't do it I couldn't do it because I knew how upsetting it was for me to talk about it and I didn't want to project that upset onto everybody else and I let them go home without telling them anything and I'm going to use this term flippantly but took the coward's way out and wrote a text message to them all in our family group chat because I didn't know how else to say it with without me struggling to get the words out. Yeah. And, you know, I knew 100% they'd be supportive and, you know, ask, ask me what support I needed from them. What, what, what did I need them to do? What, what did I need them not to do? But having that, initial conversation just I, I just couldn't get the words out when I was speaking to them face to face and it's a lot easier to do now that I've I've kind of broke that seal but even now I'll I'll, I'll say you know I'm fine and I think I put so I, I think I, I put something on my Instagram story a couple of days ago that it's probably one of the biggest lies we say on a daily basis is that we're fine it's just a way to keep the conversation moving. Of course it is. It is. And, you know, I, I've, I've talked to seeking counselling. I, I go to a group session on a Monday evening and I'm taking steps to learn how to manage my mental health better. I'm not there yet. I, I'm not even close to being okay all the time. But understanding that that's all right is probably the biggest barrier because, you know, I'm a logical person and if there's a problem, it needs to be solved. It's there to be fixed. Yeah. You know, I, I work in a delivery-driven role, so I work to deadlines. 
you know, so I've got a problem, I need to fix it, and I need to fix it by that specific point. And I, f- I suppose the biggest difficulty is not putting that pressure on myself to fix it because it probably I, I, you know I, I don't think it'll ever get fully fixed because there will always be up days there'll always be down days and I think it's understanding that that's all right and reminding myself on a daily basis that oh so today's a you know a not so good day but that's all right. Give yourself a break. So you're being kinder to yourself. It, it, it is, and that's the bit that I've, I've probably struggled with more than anything, Matt, is that I still feel like I need to be that quote-unquote man of the house. Is that part of an ego thing where you want to be a certain way for your wife, be a certain way in front of the kids, be a certain way for your peers out and about on the street and in the workplace? I'm very, very, very good at giving advice. Very good at being an ear for somebody to, to, you know, get their problems off the chest, but not very good at turning the tables the other way around. You know, I I did um, a, a talk last year on Mental Health Awareness Week as part of like a, a work campaign. And I listened back to that that discussion a few weeks ago and I realized how much of the stuff I was saying was just completely not true. And it was all about pretending that I'm okay. Yeah, I've had some struggles, but do you know what? I'm all right. I've worked through it and I'm resilient and I'm doing fine. Where, you know, if I'd have been a bit more honest back then and not only would have helped myself but I might have helped other people as well that's interesting that you say that because I'm thinking hmm you could be a podcast host just listen to other people's problems <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I do hear what you're saying and I think it is easy for us to say what we say in the moment and kind of act up I guess to um or play up or whatever you want to call it just just be who we think we should be or portray certain persona that we think other people expect of ourselves. It's just how yeah. society is, is is created and perpetuated in terms of, oh, I don't feel 100, but I'm going to act like it just to get the job done. Yeah. But I'd like to think someone still resonated with what you said, whether later on down the line, they peeled back the layers and realized, well, actually it's not as rosy as he's painted it to be. But I would like to think that because you'd be in that situation, you now looking back at it and be able to say what you're saying, lets people know that maybe all that goes on on a stage isn't as real as we'd like it to be. There's hours of, you know, prep work gone into it. The language used is, is, you know, selected for a purpose to portray a certain image or a certain lifestyle that we're trying to say is normal when it's anything but. Yeah. And the rawness of you being honest about that is important the one thing i constantly hear and i cannot and i will not hide from is the fact that it sounds like through both your first l and this l is that your wife's been a constant yeah how important has it been to have someone as supportive like her in your life 
during these situations? I'm not afraid to be, be candid here. I, I, I don't think I'd be here. I don't. I think there's been some some real tough moments in, in these last few years that I've not really realised how dark they were until I've started to look back on things and look back on little things that have happened over the last few years that could have gone in a completely different way if she wasn't the way she was. And yeah, I mean, she's my biggest champion. Like she, 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 she puts me on a pedestal that I, I still don't believe I deserve to be on. You know, she, she says every day that I make her proud and I'm like, well, so, so what? what? What am I doing? It's like, it doesn't matter. You just do. And knowing that I've got that, that person there that through everything we've gone through, and, and I mean, you know, as, as a couple, not just necessarily my stuff, but what we've gone through as a couple and the fact that we're still as strong as we could ever be, it is, it is, it's down to her and, and the way that she reacts to things is I come across as a very calm person, you know, I, especially when I'm, I'm, I'm talking like this, I can come across as quite calm, quite collected, but she's my calming influence. It's really important that people understand how it is incredibly important to have supportive people in our lives. And I'm not saying that we all need to be in a relationship, that I don't believe that's the case, but we do. We are all in relationship. It just isn't intimate ones necessarily. So yeah, as long as you've got someone that is supportive, it's amazing. And I like how you say, you know, she's proud of you. I can honestly tell you why she's proud of you. And that's for my limited interaction. It's because every day you choose to get up, you choose to go out and you choose to live your life. That is you not giving up. That is you yeah. making everyone proud. So many people chucking the towel and I've spoke about it before and I'm sorry, trigger alert, I'm going to talk about it, but suicidal rates amongst men or suicide rates yeah. amongst men is high. And some people yeah. could have been diagnosed something similar to yourself or not as severe as that. And they decided yeah. the only option available for them was that route. You've chose yeah. not to and to fight and to embrace and to live your life. And that is something to be super proud of. And also, you know, she champions you. She She's given you all this ability to feel comfortable, but something you've done, which you may not have identified, is that you've allowed her to do that you've spoken to her you've yeah. you've you've opened that door you've been receptive to it and i think that's really really important so with you going through the whole mental health not being where it needs to be mm -hmm. again going back talking to your younger self what would you have said to yourself at the time where you was really in a bad place what would have been important enough for you to go back in time and say mate you need to know this right now this is going to be your turning point 
I suppose the thing that has always been kind of my, my turning point is that opening up to those closest to me, you know, because I know deep down that there'll be no judgment. I know deep down that there will be no negative connotations to anything I tell them, but there's still an element of fear of judgment, an element of fear of weakness. I know that that is never the case because I I am really, really, really fortunate that I've got a really good support network in, in, in my family and my close friends. And I think it's just reminding myself that that's exactly who they are and that's exactly what they are. They are supportive. They are there for me when I need it. And that's probably the thing that I've probably done them a disservice by not opening up because for everything that that I've gone through and I'm going through, they're going through it as well because, you know, whether it's my, my sight loss or my mental health, one thing that I've, I've realized, again, only in these last couple of months or so, is that for everything I'm going through, they're going through the same thing. And I've probably not allowed them to come to their own level of understanding or acceptance because I've not been willing to be open about how it's affecting me, which means that they're not able to understand how it's affecting them. That's interesting. But I, I, I think I get it. it Hindsight is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. It really is. And we can only assume if when we go back in time, if it would really give us the desired outcome that we wanted. Because I'd like to think for the most part, a lot of our lives are pretty sweet. Yeah. So if we went back and fixed those things that weren't great, would we really be as happy as we think we would be? Probably not. No. So I think I think there's something beautiful in the mess that is our lives sometimes that we can have some beautiful art that comes out of it. Oh, that sounded nice, didn't it? I like that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, with your accepting that, you know, you had poor mental health, what what has been what what did you gain from that? If that's not a loss, what did you gain from acknowledging that? your mental health was not where it needed to be. So what I've gained is that I'm all right being vulnerable at times and I'm starting to become more comfortable with being vulnerable. Um, I mean, six months ago, I wouldn't have even admitted that I'm struggling with my mental health, even though deep down I probably knew I was. I would never have admitted it. And... I mentioned a little while ago that I've started to go to a support group on a Monday evening. It's a a national one. I'm I'm not afraid to say the name. It's Andy's Man Club. Nice. And Shout out to them. You know, they they do a lot to make men who, who were in the same situation as me be okay with just being vulnerable. And 
you know, I, I'd, I'd like to say in, in the in the last couple of months, I've met some guys through that that I consider decent blokes, and we'll probably get to know them a lot better over the the coming weeks, months, and years. And yeah, it, it's it's realization that you're not on your own, and I think that's probably one thing that I've I've learned, not just you know with with, with the sight loss, but also you know with my mental health is that there's there's always somebody who is going through a similar lived experience as you and one thing that i do try and say and and you know like i say i'm, I'm a i'm great at giving people advice on you know telling them that it's okay to not be okay i'm, I'm great at giving the advice yeah and i think now that I've started to realize that for myself, it makes some of the connections that I've made over the last few months that more meaningful because I'm being more honest. Yeah. And not just being more honest with other people, but being more honest with myself as well. I've got, I've got a long way to go. I'm not going to. I'm not going to pretend that I've not. But the fact that I know that I've got a long way to go, and I've realised that, is is the first step. And I honestly think I'm a much happier person than I was a few months ago. Yeah, I, I feel like that. There's just been a, a huge weight lifted that's probably been dragging me down for a number of years, and I feel almost. It's going to quite sound quite spiritual, but I, I feel quite free. I'm not a spiritual person, but it, it does feel like that I'm becoming more like my old self rather than the person I'm, I've pretended to be maybe for the last few years. And yeah, I, I think that's probably the the one thing that's probably quite clear is you know that, that I am. I'm, I'm just. Happier person. I don't mean that in a great mood all the time. I just mean I'm I'm happy with where I am, and I'm okay with where I am. And I think that's important. A lot of us, for one reason or another, are not necessarily happy with where we are. I think I might have said this previously on another episode how I kind of begrudged the fact when I was younger, people used to tease me about my big lips because I guess I didn't grow into my lips at that point. But yeah, I got teased about my complexion. It is what it is. But then later on in life, you realize you see people that are getting fillers put in their lips and trying to tan themselves looking like me. And, yep. you know, people are trying to, like, don't get me wrong, I, I, don't think I resented my nose or didn't think I resented my skin or anything like that. But mm -hmm. the fact that so many people are trying to be like other people that they'll do surgery or other whatever it is they want to do to mm -hmm. remove what makes them unique so that they could be a part of the masses to later on then identify the fact that they are unique and they have something special about themselves and then have to rediscover it X amount of years later. It's hurtful to me because it feels like all those years you've had, you've just wasted them or they're lost. But everyone has to go on their own journey. And that's, yeah. and that's important. But I think as well is that appreciating where you are is important. Just to know that, yes, you're in this situation, but you know what? It can still be a beautiful situation. They say manure is the best form of fertilizer going. Yeah. So if you really, are, if it really has hit the fan with you, then just think about, wow, what can grow from this? 
you know, everyone else is growing grass. I'm growing an allotment here. Yeah. I've got fruit for days here. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a bit of an obscure way of thinking about it, but I think it's all about the mentality because without the right mentality, you could easily go into a rabbit hole of a dark place Yeah, and it would be incredibly hard to co- uh, recover from. I, de- I definitely have taken a lot from what you said and it, it does open my eyes. And I love the fact that you've got the Andy's Boys Club, Men's Club, is it? Yeah, Andy's Man Club. I think it's yeah. really great that they're, there's organizations out there like that that are there to support individuals who need that additional support and yeah, just connect people so that we all can encourage each other. And being spiritual isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's it, each to their own, it's fine. I just think that everyone should just embrace who they are and how they came to it and just love it. Yeah. What I will say before we wrap up, obviously I want to just again thank you for sharing and being so open and candid about your situation. Where can people reach you? so they can learn more about you and the fantastic things you teach me on Instagram on a regular basis. Um, yeah, go ahead. Tell people where they can find you, please. Yeah. So, so my Instagram handle isn't very, isn't very creative at all, but one of the biggest things that I do get is, so, well, you don't look blind. And my, my answer to that is usually, well, what is blind supposed to look like? And I was quite surprised that that Instagram handle was, available but but there it is um so yes my instagram handle is you don't look blind all one word no underscores or dashes or anything like that you just you don't look blind and you know what i try and give on there is a little bit of insight in terms of what i do on a daily basis but not just that things that i get up to you know it's not just all about education awareness it's about me as a person as well and yeah and that's that's where i do most of my posting nice well much appreciated well thank you again for jumping on and sharing as you have done to each and every one of listeners thank you very much for your time doing whatever you're doing and i hope you got a lot from that i i i don't think i can summarize this as well as i'd like to i think my vocabulary escapes me but i i think it's important to illiterate oh my gosh i think it's important to remember the fact that your right now is not your forever. And sometimes you just need to take a step back to kind of get a bigger understanding of the actual context of the situation. Yes, you've lost this, but what have you potentially gained through it? I know there's been situations, even right now in my house, where, again, twins are still not here, even though by the time this episode dropped, they probably are here. There's things in my house that I can't put my hands on. And I'm livid because I can't find this. I can't find that because my house is in a bit of a a chaotic state at the moment. But I'm kind of happy because I don't have them because of that responsibility is now off my head. So sometimes you need to let go of things or have things removed out of your life so that it can give you more clarity, give you a bit more focus, help you to fuel that desire to live life to the fullest. As someone I know once said, live full, die empty. And in a way, a lot of us hold on to things that we don't need to hold on to. Things are only in our lives for a season. Even people are in our lives for a season. And it's unfortunate that we can't have everything, but sometimes you need to lose something to gain the better insight in other things. So in a long-winded way, appreciate, have an attitude of gratitude. <laughs> um, live life as best you can and just be encouraged because I've had, I'm so privileged to have some amazing guests on here and I'd like to think you guys are privileged to be able to hear their stories 
And if nothing else, just take away from the fact that not every year is a loss and nothing about a caterpillar. Tell you it's going to be a butterfly. Please rate, review, follow the podcast. Uh, follow me on Instagram. Where was it? Every L podcast on Twitter and Instagram. More active on Instagram. But, you know, do what you got to do. Write a review. Hit me up if you want to be a guest or not someone wants to be a guest. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Take care.